Hi, it's Amy Siskin of The Weekly List and author of the book, The List, and welcome to episode 10 of The Weekly List Podcast, which accompanies week 90 on The Weekly List website, theweeklylist.org, and corresponds to the week ended August 4th, 2018. Welcome. So this week, the themes that deserve some special attention are attacks on our media, which escalated even further this week. We are really in a situation here where I fear we're going to wake up and have another attack or violence against media, similar to what we had not so many weeks ago when six were murdered at the Capitol Gazette. Trump continued to stoke hatred against the media this week, continuing with very strong words and egging on his supporters. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to spend some time, there were important developments this week in the Manafort trial and the Russia probe, which seems to be closing in on Trump, and he certainly reacted to it. The threat to our upcoming midterms is very real. We're going to talk about things that are happening with respect to the 2018 election and Trump's reaction or non-reaction to those. So those are two major themes we're going to talk about. Before we get into that, the Washington Post has been tracking Trump's lies since he took office. This week, they updated their numbers to report that in his first 558 days in office, Trump has made 4,229 false or misleading claims. Not only that, his lies are escalating. In the first 100 days, he made on average 4.9 false claims or misleading claims each day. He's now averaging 7.6 false claims each day. One day in July, on July 5th, he actually had 79 lies in a single day. (laughs) Trump told 532 lies in June alone, another 446 in July. That's roughly 16 lies he's telling us each day. And sadly, there's this alternative truth that he's establishing and working hard to continue. And many in his base are buying into these alternative facts that he promulgates day in, day out. What does he lie most about? The biggest topic that he lies about is our economy, followed by immigration, then trade, the Russia probe, and taxes. So let's talk about the Russia probe a bit. We're going to spend a fair amount of time on it this week, and I want to highlight the import of what happened on Thursday when Trump's top national security officials made a rare joint appearance in the White House briefing room. I just want to back up to say all of these individuals are appointed by Trump. The purpose of this briefing was to warn that Russia continues to target the U.S. election and these top officials vowed to combat interference. Although they didn't give specific details about the attacks or policies, but just in terms of who's who of the people there, the Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coats, National Security Advisor, John Bolton, those two stood on stage together. Um, Secretary Nielsen, FBI Director Ray, and NSA Director Paul Nakasone. 
although each security official acknowledged attacks by Russia and said their agency would take steps to counter, there's no leadership from the White House. And Bolton, in week 79, eliminated the top cybersecurity job. Also at the conference, Coates acknowledged two weeks after Helsinki, he's still not in a position, quote, to, quote, fully understand what occurred during that meeting raising questions about why Trump is keeping him in the dark. The joint appearance follows the first meeting that Trump had convened of his National Security Council to discuss election security last week. That meeting lasted less than an hour and resulted in nothing. And what would you think happened after all these high-powered individuals came out and said that Russia interfered and warned us of what was coming? That very night, Trump had a campaign rally that he attended in Pennsylvania. Um, At this rally, despite this conference with his top security officials, Trump falsely claimed, quote, Russia is very unhappy that Trump won and said that diplomatic efforts with Putin, quote, are being hindered by the Russian hoax. Hours after, hours after. Trump also that night told many other lies. The New York Times reported that at the rally, he told a total of 15 lies on everything from highway spending to immigration to crowd size. We're still talking about crowd size and still chanting locker up and his legislative accomplishments. He also lied that U.S. Steel Corporation is opening up seven new plants. They're not opening any. He also repeated false claims about NATO belittling them, saying they're delinquent on money, and that funding is going down. Again, lies and misstatements. So other than that, the other alarming thing that happened this week with Trump was his war with the media, which is escalating. And that was a theme throughout the week. Starting on Sunday, when Trump tweeted about a meeting with New York Times publisher and said they discussed the vast amounts of fake news being put out by the media and how that fake news has morphed into the phrase enemy of the people. On Sunday, in a statement, Salzberger, who is the New York Times publisher, said he accepted Trump's invitation for the meeting on July 20th to raise his concerns about Trump's, quote, deeply troubling anti-press rhetoric, saying, quote, the phrase fake news is untrue and harmful. Salzberger also said Trump's language is not just divisive, but increasingly dangerous, warning inflammatory language is contributing to a rise in threats against journalists and will lead to violence. Salzberger said overseas governments are using Trump's words as justification to crack down on journalists and warned Trump that attacks were putting lives at risk and undermining our democratic ideals. On Sunday, in a series of tweets, Trump responded. He said, quote, I will not allow our great country to be sold out by anti-Trump haters in the dying newspaper industry, including the, quote, failing New York Times and Washington Post. Trump added, quote, the media driven insane by their Trump derangement syndrome truly puts the lives of many, not just journalists, at risk. And he called the media very unpatriotic. So just pick up on that theme. He's saying to people, his supporters, that the media is putting them in danger. 
On Tuesday, Trump continued his battle with the media, tweeting, quote, the fake news media is going crazy in capital letters and accused the media of being unhinged and of ruining the lives of innocent and decent people. He also tweeted that in seven years when he's out of office, the media's ratings would dry up and they will be gone. And he was particularly targeting CNN, NBC News, Washington Post, and the New York Times as fake news for coverage he deems unfair. On Tuesday, Trump held a rally in Tampa, Florida. And before Trump even arrived, ahead of his arrival, his supporters crowded around a reporter for one of his favorite targets, CNN, and Jim Acosta is a reporter there, and they threatened him, giving him the middle middle finger and leading chance of CNN sucks. You can see a picture uh, that accompanies the weekly list with week 90 from that rally with some very angry looking individuals attacking verbally and acting threatening towards Jim Acosta. After the rally, Acosta tweeted a video of Trump supporters attacking him and said, quote, I'm very worried that the hostility whipped up by Trump and some in conservative media will result in somebody getting hurt. So what did Trump do? Did he apologize? Did he tell his supporters to stop? Nope. He retweeted a tweet from his son, Eric, with the caption, watch CNN supporters of Trump chant CNN sucks during Jim Acosta's live spot at Florida rally. He retweeted that. On Thursday, at an event hosted by Axios, Ivanka Trump said she has had my, my fair share of reporting on me personally that I know not to be fully accurate, but said she does not consider the media to be the enemy of the people. At the daily press briefing that day, Jim Acosta tried to press Sarah Sanders on whether she agrees with Ivanka that the press is not the enemy of the people. Sanders at first won answer. Then she defended the mob scene in Tampa as freedom of speech and said the media continues to ratchet up verbal assaults against Trump and his regime. He asked again, And after she continued to not answer whether Sarah Sanders believes the media is not the enemy of the people, Jim Acosta left the room. On Thursday, the United Nations Human Rights Office issued a statement condemning Trump's attacks on the media, saying they violate basic norms of press freedom and human rights. The statement cited Trump labeling the media as enemy of the people, very dishonest and fake news and accusing the media of distorting democracy and spreading conspiracy theories. Isn't that sad that the United Nations human rights is now condemning our country and their treatment of the media thanks to Trump. So away from those two stories, and we're going to talk more about Russia, I just want to talk about sort of everyday corruption, kleptocracy, and incompetence in the Trump regime. These are the stories happening every week that get very little coverage in the chaos, but they're important to know what the other hands that Trump has put in charge of our government are doing and taking away from us. The New York Times reported Peter Wright, Trump's nominee to lead the EPA's Superfund program, was a lawyer at Dow Chemical when the company submitted disputed data, misrepresented scientific evidence, and delayed cleanups. So he seems the perfect person to run the Superfund. 
On Monday, the New York Times reported the Trump regime is considering granting $100 billion in tax cuts, mainly to the wealthy, through the Treasury Department changing the definition of costs for calculating capital gains. This would allow the Trump regime to bypass Congress. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin said in an interview at the Group of 20 Summit that if his department was studying it and if it can't get it done through legislative process, they will do it on their own. On Wednesday, the Trump regime took another step to hobble the Affordable Care Act, widening the availability of skimpy healthcare plans designed for short-term use that do not cover pre-existing conditions. This was condemned by the health industry, hospitals, doctors, and patient advocacy groups that warned that consumers with these plans would be stranded when they needed care and defections would drive up the cost in the ACA marketplace, compromising it, which has been the goal all along. On Thursday, the Trump regime said it would freeze Obama-era fuel efficiency requirements for cars and trucks, which were meant to improve public health and combat climate change. Trump's plan would also revoke California's legal waiver to set its own tailpipe restrictions, which the state has used to curb greenhouse gas emissions. Believe it or not, automakers had mixed reactions to this move. But you know who liked it? The oil and gas interests cheered it. And they have been lobbying pretty hard, as we've been reporting on. The plan is part of the Department of Transportation's deregulatory efforts, arguing for affordability and safety. Great buzzwords. Other forms of kleptocracy this week. On Thursday, the Wall Street Journal reported a major Trump donor, Franklin Haney, gave a $10 million contract to Michael Cohen in early April, shortly before the April 9th raid, to help him complete a pair of nuclear reactor deals in Alabama. Cohen was paid a monthly retainer in addition to the $10 million success fee, which obviously wasn't paid. Um, authorities are investigating whether Cohen engaged in unregistered lobbying in his work for corporate clients, including AT&T and Novartis. The Washington Post reported that room revenue at the Trump International Hotel in Manhattan rose 13% in the first quarter of 2018. Due to providing rooms for travelers from Saudi Arabia who were accompanying the crown prince. And isn't it strange that Saudi Arabia wasn't part of that Muslim ban that was put in place, even though they have been part of terrorist attacks on our country? Strange that. Huh. Four Democratic senators called for an investigation into tours on Air Force One after BuzzFeed reported that they had obtained invitations revealing members of Trump's Florida clubs were invited for tours last year. On Friday, the Wall Street Journal reported, and this is a huge story that got so little attention, the Wall Street Journal reported that the Kushner family closed a deal to unload 666 Fifth Avenue an investment made by Kushner at the top of the market in 2007 that his family has been saddled with and unable to refinance. Kushner co companies will lease the property to Brookfield Asset Management for 99 years, paid upfront in an amount that will allow the Kushner family to pay off the $1.1 billion of debt on the building and buy out its partners. Well, remember episode seven of the podcast? It was noted that a unit of Brookfield is also awaiting approval from the Trump's 
Committee on Foreign Investment for its acquisition of the nuclear power company Westinghouse Electric, of Westinghouse Electric. So again, Kushner, Trump, you know, it's a feeding binge for every pig at the trough using his influence and the regime's influence to refinance a property that was so overlevered and underwater that in normal times, no bank, no foreign entity would touch. And just remember 666 Fifth Avenue in the early weeks list, we talked about KTAR, the Sovereign Wealth Fund, looked at possibly refinancing that deal and turned it down a week after our foreign policy changed and our foreign policy backed the Saudis and the United Arab Emirates in an economic blockade of Qatar. And remember, although Qatar won't publicly disclose what they know, they know that that punishment, because of we've discussed this in weekly lists as well, was put on them because Kushner could not get refinanced from their sovereign fund. But they found somebody. Other news this week. Remember the Election Integrity Commission, quotes are on integrity. Maine Secretary of State Matthew Dunlop, a Democrat who served on that commission in a lawsuit won access to and then published a trove of documents Friday revealing no signs of voter fraud. Trump said, excuse me, Dunlop said Trump's repeated claims that millions of people voted illegally were false. In a letter, Dunlop wrote, quote, these documents show that there was a preordained outcome without any evidence to back it up. And just other not normal and uh, kind of things that are happening in our government, we are still moving towards Brett Kavanaugh, uh, Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court. It came out this week that although documents are not going to be available, the National Archives warned it would not be able to fulfill the GOP requests until late October. We still need documents from the Bush White House that Kavanaugh served in from 2003 to 2006. Those documents are missing. Although those are missing, McConnell is still threatening to bring forward his nomination, which again is not normal. So now let's go back to Russia, the theme that Trump can't get away from and seems more and more absurd, like what is happening right before our eyes, that here we are all these weeks later after the conference Thursday, that Trump will still not say and admit that Russia hacked our election uh, and continues to try to interfere and attack our upcoming election. In fact, on Sunday, in a series of tweets, Trump lashed out at Mueller, claiming without evidence or explanation that Mueller has conflicts of interest and saying, quote, is Robert Mueller ever going to release his conflicts of interest? Trump tweeted of Mueller, we had a very nasty and contentious business relationship. I turned him down to head the FBI. Rosenstein has testified that he knows of no disqualifying conflicts of interest for Mueller. Trump also tweeted in his efforts to diminish the probe, there's no collusion, falsely claiming Mueller rigged witch hunt was started by a fraudulent dossier, which is not true, paid for by the DNC and Hillary, and therefore the witch hunt is an illegal scam. He also falsely claimed that the probe, the rigged witch hunt, as he calls it, is headed by now 17 angry Democrats. We've talked about the fact that that's not true. A CBS poll 
asking Trump supporters who they trust for accurate information found that 91% trust Trump, 63% trust friends and family, and just 11% trust the mainstream media. See, that's why Trump keeps doing this. That's why he's escalating the lies. As a Russia probe gets closer, he's developing this alternative set of facts for his supporters. This poll by CBS also found that 70% of Republicans call the Russia investigation a witch hunt. That's seven in 10 Republicans. While 77% of Democrats call it critical and a matter of national security. So what else happened in the witch hunt? Well, on Sunday, uh, Democratic Senator Jean Shaheen told Face the Nation her office has been the subject of at least one phishing attack by Russians targeting email accounts and social media. So that's the second Democrat in two weeks. Last week we talked about Claire McCaskill. That was a target of Russian potential hacking since Trump took office. Uh, also on Sunday, activist Emma Best published 11,000 WikiLeaks Twitter direct messages. The messages reveal WikiLeaks wanted the GOP to defeat Hillary Clinton, who was described in a message as a, quote, well-connected, sadistic psychopath. On Tuesday, Facebook announced it had uncovered and removed sophisticated efforts, possibly linked to Russia, to manipulate U.S. politics by sowing discord ahead of the upcoming midterms. Facebook did not directly name Russia, but said the 32 fake accounts on Facebook and Instagram were involved in a coordinated and inauthentic political behavior. One page alone had close to 300,000 followers. The page promoted No Unite the Right to March, a planned counter demonstration, and another to amplify Abolish ICE. Facebook noted the efforts mirror Internet Research Agency the Kremlin-linked troll farm and their moves in the 2016 election. On Tuesday, at a cybersecurity summit in New York, Department of Homeland Security Nielsen, who again has been reluctant to speak out about hacking, issued her strongest warning to Russia, saying, quote, mark my words, America will not tolerate this meddling. She warned that there is a, quote, urgent evolving crisis, warning of online attacks, like a small bank in Virginia, which was a target of Russian hackers who stole 2.4 million over the course of two weekends. On Wednesday, social media and technology experts testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee, saying Russia and other foreign actors have not slowed their effort to spread misinformation and propaganda. Senator Richard Burr, who is the chair of the committee and a Republican, said of Russian interference efforts, quote, some feel that we are, as a society, sitting in a burning room, calmly drinking a cup of coffee, telling ourselves this is fine. That's not fine. And then on Wednesday, the Senate rejected Democrats' proposal to provide states with more election funding to secure their elections for their midterms by a vote of 50-47. Only Senator Bob Corker was the only Republican to vote with Democrats. So just to lay that out, so we know for sure we have the senators, we have Facebook telling us, we have Secretary Nielsen who's been reluctant to do it. We have this huge news co uh, conference on Thursday, and still we have Trump saying it is a hoax. 
and doing nothing to take any leadership to stop what continues to be an attack by Russia, not only of our elections, but of our banking system, potentially of our electrical grid. This is what we are seeing out in the light of day right in front of us. So this week also the Manafort trial started on Tuesday in federal court in Alexandria, and he's being tried there on bank and tax fraud charges. A jury was selected Tuesday and the trial is moving at a very quick pace. So that happened on Tuesday. On Wednesday, Trump called on his attorney general, Jeff Sessions, to end the Mueller investigation, tweeting Sessions, quote, should stop this rigged witch hunt right now before it continues to stain our country any further. Trump called the Mueller investigation a, quote, terrible situation and repeated his false claim that Mueller is totally conflicted and his 17 angry Democrats are doing their dirty work and are a disgrace to the USA. When asked about Trump's tweets to end the Mueller investigation, which we've talked about in past weeks that now Mueller's probe is looking at his tweets as another form of obstruction of justice, Press Secretary Sanders said, quote, it's not an order, it's the president's opinion. Trump wants to see it come to an end. His attorneys also tried to clean up the mess for him and downplay his tweets. Giuliani said Trump was careful about using the word should. And Jay Sekulow said Trump, quote, has issued no order or direction to the Department of Justice on this. Trump also tweeted that Manafort, quote, worked for me for a very short time. Yeah, he just got my coffee. And saying, why didn't our government tell me he was under investigation? These old charges have nothing to do with me. Collusion, it's a hoax. Trump also compared Manafort's treatment to that of Al Capone, <laughs> tweeting, quote, who was treated worse? Alphonse Capone, and misspelling his name, legendary mob boss, killer, or Paul Manafort, political political operative and Reagan Dole appointee. Yeah, it's always Reagan Dole. He barely knew him, even though he was his campaign manager. On Wednesday, the Washington Post reported in a letter sent by Mueller's team, there's renewed negotiations going on with Trump's legal team about Trump doing a in-person interview with Mueller. The New York Times reported, Trump is eager to meet with investigators to clear himself of wrongdoing Reportedly, Trump believes he can convince Mueller's team that their own inquiry is a witch hunt to end and therefore end the inquiry. See, this is our biggest, like, you know, because Trump is smarter than everyone, including Mueller and his attorneys. This is the greatest thing we have going for us. Uh, that's just my side note. According to the New York Times, the scope of the questions that Mueller would ask um, are whether Trump associates and Russia coordinated in the election interference and whether Trump tried to obstruct the investigations. So that happened. And then that was Wednesday. On Thursday, the Manafort trial continued. His bookkeeper, Heather Washkoon, said his lavish spending continued until 2015 when he ran out of cash. And then he and Gates began fudging numbers to secure loans. Just note that because he was running out of cash. He had run out of cash. And then what does he do? He takes a job working as Trump's campaign manager for free. Just leave that out there. She also testified that she didn't have access to all of Manafort's transactions. She also did not have any records of the foreign accounts Manafort used to pay for clothes, cars, real estate, and home remodeling. 
her her testimony undercut Manafort's defense, which is to say that Gates is to blame for everything because she characterized Manafort as being very knowledgeable of a client and very detail-oriented. So that happened, and then on Friday, kaboom, Cindy Laporta, one of Manafort's accountants who was granted immunity, tested that in 2015, she went along with falsifying his tax records and she didn't want to confront a longtime client. Laporta said Gates told her Manafort could not afford to pay his taxes and instructed her to misrepresent 900,000 in income as a business loan. She estimated she saved Manafort at least 400,000 in taxes. She also testified she helped Manafort attain millions of dollars of loans fraudulently, including listing a rental property as a second home, sending a forged loan forgiveness letter, and lying about large future payments he was expecting to receive. So the Mueller, the Manafort trial continues and it is winding up quickly. And the thought is, if he's found guilty, he's not going to want to spend life in prison. He might flip and testify against Trump. And that is purportedly what is driving Trump so crazy. Other Russia-related news, because there's every week so much going on. Uh, Butina, who we've talked about, who is indicted as a Russian spy and being tried, more information was reported by BuzzFeed on a cash trail that she and Paul Erickson, the Republican consultant, had left that was disclosed from Wells Fargo Bank through their anti-money laundering efforts. It was also, and this is important, the Washington Post reported that in the weeks before the 2016 election, Butina socialized with Trump aide J.D. Gordon who served not only as a campaign's director of national security until August 2016, but then joined Trump's transition team. According to documents and testimony provided to the Senate Intelligence Committee, Butina and Gordon exchanged emails in September and October 2016, and Gordon invited her to a concert and his birthday party. So again, we're taking one step closer, having an indicted, an indicted uh, Russian spy in contact with another person related to the Trump campaign. Keep an eye on that. On Thursday, a federal judge in Washington ruled Andrew Miller, a former assistant to Roger Stone, must testify before the special counsel's grand jury on Russian interference. Miller worked for Stone during the 2016 election campaign, presidential campaign, and is one of at least six of Stone's associates being called to testify. So Mueller is clearly going after Stone, who had direct ties as well to the Trump campaign. So all these things are kind of playing out in front of our eyes. And then with all this happening, this is just something to keep your eye on. On Thursday, Reuters reported that according to Russian agencies, citing senior lawmaker in Russia, Senator Rand Paul will lead a U.S. delegation to Moscow and will meet with Russian members of parliament on August 6th. How bizarre is that? You know, if everything Russia, all these things being disclosed, and Senator Rand Paul, who has been acting so erratically and so out of character for what his policies usually are and his, his stances are, is traveling to Russia. Bookmark that one as well. So leaving Russia, let's talk about other things happening in our country with a migrant crisis and what I call the whitening of America, white nationalism in America, thanks to Trump. Some developments first on the whitening of America. 
Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney announced the city will end a major data sharing contract with ICE, citing misuse of information and ICE detaining undocumented immigrants who are not accused of any crime. The Guardian reported on Sunday that the Trump regime plans to rescind Obama-era work permits for spouses of holders of H-1B visas, effectively combining, combining spouses, mostly women, to home and stripping their families of a second income. On Wednesday, the New York Times reported the Trump regime is considering a second sharp reduction in the number of refugees admitted to the United States, a program meant to offer protection for the world's most vulnerable people. We've already talked about in other weekly lists how last year, even though the regime had set the cap at 45,000, which was a historic low, only 33,000 refugees were let in, the lowest number ever since the program has been put in place, including the year after 9-11, when President George W. Bush led in 97,000. So again, the cap was cut to 45,000, 33,000 were let in last year. And according to the New York Times, Stephen Miller, who has installed allies in key positions, is being pushed, is pushing a new plan to lower the cap to 25,000 refugees. Again, more whitening of America. On Thursday, in a two to one decision, the US appeals court struck down a key part of Trump's contentious efforts to crack down on sanctuary cities, saying an executive order threatening to cut funding was unconstitutional. In a letter, here's another disappearing information. In a letter addressed to the National Archives and Records Administration, a group of U.S. historians demanded that the regulatory body stop ICE from erasing records of the agency's treatments of immigrants. Historians sent the letter July 25th after learning ICE had sought permission to begin destroying years worth of data, including information on sexual abuse, solitary confinement, and in-custody deaths. On Friday, and again, our judicial branch is at times the only thing keeping our country and our, our values together, a federal judge in Washington, D.C. ordered that the DACA program should be fully restored and gave Trump regime 20 days to do so. Just to put this in perspective, California and New York courts have ruled the regime cannot end DACA, but have only ordered the regime to continue renewing existing applications. This ruling Friday goes further and it orders the program reopened in its entirety. So we'll be following those cases, which the Trump regime said they will appeal. And now let's talk about our migrants family, which Trump tweeted, and this was so odd um, during the week, he tweeted that a highly respected federal judge said the Trump administration gets great credit for reuniting families. And this is, as we discussed last week, roughly a third of families separated by Trump remain apart. So other happenings this week. So Trump was congratulating himself, but not for long. We're going to hear what the judge said by the end of the week. But this was another important case. There are other cases now around the country with respect to how these migrant families are being treated. This one will shock you. On Monday, U.S. District Judge Dolly G. in Los Angeles ordered that the Trump regime stop administering psychotropic medications to migrant children without first obtaining consent or a court order. Judge G said the regime has been medicating children at the Shiloh Residential Treatment 
center in Texas without consent. She ordered the children be moved from the facility except those posing a risk to harm to themselves or others. On Tuesday at a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing, senior officials from Border Patrol, ICE, HHS, and the Department of Justice said they learned about Trump's zero tolerance policy in April when Sessions publicly announced it. They had no advance warning. They were therefore not able to put protocols in place to eventually reunite families, which is kind of amazing that Trump probably thought they were never gonna have to reunite families because he treats these people like animals. He believes they're animals. One gentleman, Matthew Elbunce, the number one excuse me, the number two official at ICE, described family detention centers as, quote, more like a summer camp, saying migrants have food, water, and educational and recreational opportunities, uh, to which one of the senators asked him if he would send his children there. And of course, he demurred. Commander Jonathan White, and this is an important statement, from the Department of Health and Human Services, said he warned his superiors that separating children from parents carried a, quote, significant risk of harm and could, quote, inflict psychological injury. He said he was assured the regime would not implement separations. So at least we're having some trials, excuse me, some, excuse me, some hearings and, and there's some discussion, but there's still, as of Thursday, this happened, the Trump regime filed and said for the remaining families that are not reunited, that they shouldn't do it, that it should be the ACLU that should find the deported families, which are roughly 500 parents who are deported, and then reunite them with their children. So that's their view, that they feel that they've wiped their hands clean of this, that it's done, that Trump said he gets great credit. Um, So yeah, they felt like, yeah, we've done such a great job here. But not so fast. The um, Friday, Judge Dana Sabra rejected the regime's request to make the ACLU the primary responsible for locating migrant parents who are deported, say the government bears 100% of the burden. The judge also scolded the regime for moving so slowly to track down the deported parents, calling it just unacceptable that an estimated only one Uh, only 12 out of close to 500 parents that were already deported have been located. And again, as we've discussed, over 700 families remain separated. Sabra suggested the regime appoint a person to lead the reunification process, saying for every parent who is not located, there's a permanently orphaned child. They're going to, he's going to hold more hearings next week. So just note that the Trump regime feels like they did this. They were never going to have to reunify the children. They feel like they've wiped their hands clean of this, but not so fast. Our judicial system is putting some checks and balances in place. We did have a Senate hearing, although nothing happened. At least our Senate did hold a couple of hearings this week. So my new favorite thing on a more positive note this week is Trump's civil war with the Koch brothers. It started on Sunday at a conference for the Kochs where Charles Koch publicly said he expressed regret over his network's past support for some Republican candidates who are not standing up to Trump's policies and threatened to hold them to account. On Monday, the Kochs announced they would not support the Trump-backed Republican candidate to take on Hattie Heikamp in North Dakota 
warning that siding with Trump will carry a political cost for their within their network. Trump on Tuesday attacked back and dismissed the criticism by the Koch networks of his trade and immigration policies, tweeting, they have become, quote, a total joke in real Republican circles and saying, quote, I don't need their money or bad ideas. And then on Thursday, the Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna Romney McDaniels warned GOP donors in a memo to steer clear of the Koch's political network, escalating the fight between Trump allies and the Kochs. So yes, grab your popcorn. That one made me smile and I love the idea that the Kochs are gonna hold the Republicans accountable. So as we've talked about, there's nothing that Trump is doing that resembles Republican orthodoxy, especially relating to what we're gonna talk about next, our economy, uh, which on Monday, the Treasury Department predicted the US government's borrowing needs in the second half of this year will jump to 769 billion the highest level since the 2008 financial crisis. On Wednesday, Trump escalated his trade war with China, instructing U.S. trade representatives to look into increasing tariffs on China from 10% to 25% on some products. And of course, China announced it will retaliate. Just as background, our trade gap under Trump with China has increased every quarter. So whatever he's doing to our economy, which is now showing signs you watched, start talking about it last week, and more signs now that we are borrowing heavily, that the rates are going up, that we're gonna see our economy slow as earnings are coming out that are going to be impacted by Trump's tariffs and trade wars. And then his other big accomplishment with North Korea. On Monday, the Washington Post reported US spy agencies see signs that North Korea is constructing new missiles at a factory that produced the country's first intercontinental ballistic missiles capable of reaching the United States. The satellite images indicate work is underway at a facility that produced two of North Korea's inter first intercontinental ballistic missiles, including one with a proven range that would allow it to strike the east coast of the United States. Although Trump tweeted North Korea was, quote, no longer a nuclear threat following his summit with Kim Jong-un, North Korea has made few tangible moves signaling an intention to disarm. On Thursday, Trump thanked Kim Jong-un for returning the remains of 55 American soldiers, tweeting, quote, I am not at all surprised that you took this kind action. Also, thank you for your nice letter. I look forward to seeing you soon. Honest to God. I mean, Trump just got played by a third world dictator who we elevated at the Singapore summit who did nothing that Trump told our country he was going to do in terms of denuclearization. And Trump says, you are, thank you for your kind action. Thank you for your nice letter. Remains of the 55 were returned while about 5,300 American war remains are still in North Korea. Defense Secretary Jim Mattis cautioned the remains could be non-U.S. soldiers. We don't know who's in these boxes. So if Trump got played this badly by Kim Jong-un, some third-rate dictator, imagine what Putin did in the Helsinki summit, which, by the way, we still do not know. Dan Coates doesn't know what happened there. And that is a turning point for Trump. People are alarmed. Now let's talk about a theme we talk about every week, everyday racism. 
and this was a new one on Monday, Attorney General Sessions announced the formation of a, quote, religious liberty task force within the Justice Department, which he claims will help protect religious communities from discrimination. So much for separation of church and state. Sessions warned of, quote, a dangerous movement that he said was eroding protections for religious Americans and falsely claimed nuns were being forced to buy contraceptives, a reference to Obama's health care policy. Civil rights groups and LGBT advocates condemned Sessions' task force, saying it is not consistent with religious freedoms and that the guidance would encourage private groups to discriminate with government funds. A synagogue in Carmel, Indiana was vandalized with spray-painted Nazi images, including a swastika. The synagogue has not been attacked before. The Boston Globe reported that someone called the police to report a black woman eating lunch in a campus common room at Smith College. The person said she, quote, seemed out of place. The young woman is a rising sophomore at Smith College who was working there for the summer. More everyday racism. On Friday, just before midnight, Trump tweeted, quote, LeBron James was just interviewed by the dumbest man on television, Don Lemon. He made LeBron look smart, which isn't easy to do. Lemon's show is on CNN. Dan Rather blasted Trump for his racist criticism of James, calling it a disgrace. Trump, as we've been talking about, has continually attacked black athletes and black Americans, including Maxine Waters, who he accused of being uh, low IQ as well. And there was a tweet, if you check my feed, that broke my heart this week of, of a young woman with a disability, a learning disability, who tweeted how hurtful it was for her to when Trump says that someone is a low IQ individual or dumb and how that's personally hurtful for her. So this is where we are in this country. Just take that in. This was at quarter to midnight on a Friday night. Just this random racist derogatory bullying tweet. <sighs> Which brings us to odds and ends closing out the week. Uh, on Tuesday, a federal judge temporarily blocked publicly available blueprints that provided instructions for making guns using 3D printers, hour before the documents were expected to be published online. The Trump regime had suddenly settled a 2013 case with Cody Wilson on June 29th, allowing public availability of the instructions. 21 attorney generals asked Secretary of State Pompeo and Sessions to withdraw from this settlement. Hours before the, the uh, instructions were set to be made public, Trump tweeted about these 3D plastic guns, quote, already spoke to NRA, doesn't seem to be making much sense. Senator Schumer tweeted, your administration approved this and to check with the NRA question mark. That's temporary on hold with the uh, judge put that temporary on hold. But again, we're going to learn more about why this five-year-old case with Cody Wilson was suddenly settled strangely out of left field. More on that, I'm sure, in the coming weeks. Other odds and ends. On Sunday, Trump tweeted that he is, quote, willing to shut down the government if Democrats do not give him votes on his wall. He repeated that threat several times during the week. So far, no funding for his wall. 
On Thursday, at a screening for Dinesh D'Souza's new documentary, Donald Jr. compared the Nazi platform in the early 1930s to the DNC platform today, saying it's the exact opposite of what you've been told. Again, you know, that's the media. How dare they? And then strangely, also on Thursday, Jerry Falwell Jr. grouped Hitler in as a progressive elite, along with Hillary Clinton, Soros, and others, as opposed to the freedom-loving average Americans. Protesters, this is good news, protesters remained outside the White House for a third straight week since Trump's Helsinki summit with Putin. One night, protesters held giant signs spelling the word treason and other signs calling Trump a traitor. The day-to-day rallies have been dubbed, quote, Kremlin Annex and have morphed into a mix of demonstration, roasts, and dance parties. Organizers plan to keep protesting until Trump is out of office. A billboard sign in heavily Republican Grand Junction, Colorado, replaced the O in the word GOP with a Soviet-era communism symbol. The resident behind it is upset with Trump's actions on Russia, immigration, and tariffs. And finally, this was just, you know, Trump, Mr. Populism. This one needed to be shared. Uh, During his rally Tuesday night, when he was making his case for why we need IDs to vote, Trump said, quote, you know, you go out and you want to buy groceries. You need a picture on a card. You need ID. Oh, boy. When's the last time Donald Trump went to a supermarket? But like everything else, that and the hundred billion of tax cuts for the wealthy and all the other lies he's telling us each week get lost in the chaos. And that's why we're writing them all down and talking about them each week. So thank you for tuning in. Please share this podcast on your social media. Please rate it and write a a review if you can. And until next week, we look forward to hearing from you. Take care.